So relationships, right? Christmas can be an incredibly stressful time of year, hence our series. And uh, again, there are many different things that plague people during this time uh, of year that are rooted in three basic sources. The first one is money. And uh, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. We looked at time last week, you know, trying to get everything done. Today I want to look at relationships. And obviously Christmas is a time for friends and for family. And, and if that is if you're lucky to still even be a part of one, if I could say that today, right? Uh, many of the Christmas holidays, there's a period of these mass, complex social interactions with families and relatives. And some of you actually will probably say, I'd rather not even see them, right? That's just the way it is, because people are just difficult. And that's what I want to talk about today, is that people are just difficult. And difficult people are, every, are everywhere, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's pretty certain that at some point in your life, uh, you're going to come across a challenging person if you haven't already, and you're going to have to find a way to deal with them, be it at work or even within your family scenario. Um, you know, it'd be easy for us to think, like, why should we even bother with this altogether? But if being around them causes you grief, then you've got to start scratching your head and going, hmm, let's do this. But it's not as easy as just simply or as simple as that. Sometimes we're forced into situations where we have very little control. And a lot of that happens during the holiday time. Being related is one such circumstance. In fact, family members are often the hardest to deal with, right? Yeah, thank you. Because they're connected to us in a much more complicated and intimate way. With difficult uh, acquaintances like friends and colleagues and lovers and neighbors, you, you have to deal with them for only a short period of time, you know, either until the conflict is resolved between the two of you or you're able to remove yourself uh, from the situation. But with family, we're almost always obligated to go the extra mile for the sake of the integrity of who? The family group. There's more people involved. In other words, our personal relationships may affect the family as a whole. Think about that. So if you don't get along with a family member, it may very well put stress and strain on all the other familial relationships as well. So what do you do with those people that you may not like very much and may not choose to have in your life, but you're forced to because they're your family? Everybody's got a crazy aunt or uncle or cousin or something like that, right? Everybody has a difficult family member. Even Jesus, when we look in Scripture, we see that he had issues. And it may surprise you to know that Jesus had a difficult family. Um, for some of you, especially if you're a Catholic background, it may surprise you that Jesus had family at all because of the teachings of the church over time. You may not be aware that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. He did. We read it in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus is just the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters are here with us. So we see the reference to his big family. And it may surprise you to know that his family was less than perfect. You know, because they were. If your family doesn't uh, appreciate you, you got to take heart because neither did Jesus' family. Mark, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own town and with his own people and in his own home. That's Jesus talking. And I wonder what he meant when he said those last five words. 
He wasn't honored even in his own home. So Jesus goes to the synagogue. He's asked to speak. People are proud that the hometown boy is there. He's done well until they hear what he has to say. And he refers to himself as the Messiah, as the one who now has come to fulfill prophecy. And their response is this. Is this Joseph's son? Are you kidding me? What the translation is, this is no Messiah. He's just like one of us. He's just the carpenter's kid from down the street. God doesn't speak through familiar people. And so they're throwing or hanging Jesus out to dry, so to speak. That's what's going on. So one minute he's a hero, the next minute he's a heretic. Look what happens next. If you take the same story and you go to the book of Luke, they got up and they forced Jesus out of town. They took him to the edge of the cliff on which the town was built. They planned to throw him off the edge, but Jesus walked through the crowd and he went on his way. It's an ugly moment. It really is. You know, his neighborhood friends are trying to kill Jesus. But it gets even uglier by what we don't see. Notice what's missing from this verse. Notice the words that that actually aren't there. They planned to throw him over the cliff, but Jesus' brothers came and stood up for him. It's not there. His family didn't defend him. You know, it's not what happened. When Jesus was in trouble, interesting enough, his family was invisible. You know, they weren't always invisible, however, but there was a time when they spoke. There was a time where they were seen with him in public, um, not because they were proud of him, but because they were ashamed of him. And so what we see is that Jesus' siblings thought that their brother was a lunatic, interesting enough. They weren't proud. They were embarrassed. Mom, he's off the deep end. You can almost hear the conversations going on now. You should hear what people are saying about him. You know, uh, people say he's nuts, and so there's these hurtful words that are probably going out there. And 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 uh, here are some more words that Jesus's brother said about him. You should leave here and go to Judea, so your followers there can see the miracles you do. Anybody who wants to be well known doesn't hide what he does. If you're doing these things. Show yourself to the world, because even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. John chapter 7. Interesting enough. You you can almost hear the sarcasm that are in those words. And how does Jesus put up with these guys? How does he put up with these family members that are obviously antagonistic towards him? You know, how can you believe in yourself when those who know you best don't? How can you move forward in a family that actually wants to pull you back? How do you deal with difficult relatives and people? And almost everybody in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. 2 Timothy 2.23, it's where I want us to go today. Paul's writing his letter to this young pastor, Timothy, and he's actually guiding him on how you deal with people. And we read this, he says, and again I say, so Paul's talking about relationships in this, in this chapter. He says, don't get involved in foolish and ignorant arguments that only start fights. Now for some of you today, that's all you need to hear. You can get up, leave, and go because that's what you got to put into practice, right? Politics and religion around the table just don't go well. Let's make Advent great again, all right? Let's make it do. So, you know, now he's talking to people. The context is he's talking to people right, who want to be good Christ followers. That's us. So let's get back to the text. And it goes on. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everybody, able to teach, and to be patient with who? Difficult people. There it is. 
in the New Living Translation. I love this. It's, it's like God is really reading our mail and he gets it. He knows that you and I are going to deal with some difficult people because we all have difficult people in our lives. Now, some of you are dealing with some difficult people and, and that's just the way it is. And some of you feel, Jerry, I got them all in my life. I got it. I hear you. Maybe some of them showed up at your house during life group this week. Just saying, just throwing it out there, you know. Um, maybe some of them are on their way to your house next week to celebrate the holidays at Christmas time. Maybe some of them are in the row with you right now. Don't make eye contact, look here, okay? Just look, look here, all right? Now, before we really dive in, you got to think about this. Everybody is somebody's difficult person. Everybody is somebody's difficult person. You are sometimes the difficult one. Are you tracking with me, people? Let's get honest. Let's be open. All right? And so it's interesting because in their book, Dealing with People You Can't Stand, by, the way, by uh, Rick Brinkman and, and Rick Kushner, they write this. There exists a varying degree of knowledge and ignorance in your repertoire of communication skills. With their constant a consequent interpersonal strengths and weaknesses. And as a result, you may have no trouble at all dealing with that overly or non-emotional person who no one else can stand. You may have more difficulty with the people who whine and are negative, or you may find dealing with the aggressive people to be the most challenging. Passive people may frustrate you, or you may have a low tolerance for braggarts and blowhards. Likewise, you probably frustrate several people yourself because everybody is somebody's difficult person at least some of the time. A great realization. Now, I know you may not like that, but this is what I want you to do today. Turn to the person that you came with, and I'd like you to remind them. Look at them in their eyes and say, sometimes you're difficult. Can you say that? Just look at them and say, sometimes you're difficult, all right? They need to be reminded, and for some of you, that was just freeing. That's why you came to Seoul today, because you just had to say it. Sometimes you're difficult, right? Now, don't fight. Come on. Hey, no fighting. But wasn't that fun? Wasn't that honesty fun? You can look at people you care about that you love and say, you know, sometimes you're just difficult, you know, and you can just put it out there. Now, back in their book, Brinkman and Kirshner identify a 10 most unwanted list uh, that identify behaviors that represent normal people at their worst. And I've actually modified and I've added two, so I want you to work with me. Because here are some people I think are in our families. Okay? Do you hear what I said? Here are some people I think are in our families. There's the tank. Now, these are the most aggressive ones, right? The tank uh, are harsh. They use intimidation. They push through. They steamroll. But you also have the sniper. Now, the sniper are those who sit back and they wait to take their shot. They will wait a long time, but they'll take their shot. They use rude comments, biting sarcasm, you know, well-timed eye rolls, right? You know, oh, like you see those. Making you look foolish is the sniper's specialty, right? Snipers take shots at you to make you look bad, try to undermine you. Then we have the, uh, the megaphone. These people love to talk and 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 talk. And it's not just that, they're loud. But they go on and on and on and they talk you into submission. Yes, stop talking. You ever get those? Or Debbie Downer, or if your name is Debbie, we'll go with Negative Nelly. How's that, all right? 
Um, they deflate everything. Everything is bad all the time. They're constantly negative. You've been around those? You come in, you said, I had a great day at work today. They're going to look at you and go, well, FYI, you're getting let go on Monday. You know, I hate to break it to you. You know, they can't even see anything going good. And then you have uh, the know-it-all. Enough said, right? They have low tolerance for, for correction and contradiction. But then you also have the think-they-know-it-all people, right? right? Not to be confused with the know-it-all, very different. Now, these folks try, but they can't fool all the people all the time. They can fool some of the people enough of the time, and, uh, and they know how to learn just enough about a subject to sound like they actually know what they're talking about. Uh, they, they're addicted to exaggeration as sort of this attention-getting technique. They might even suffer what is from, and I love this, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a common reading of it. Uh, uh, a common reading of it is that those people who are the least competent at a task often incorrectly rate themselves as high performers because they are too ignorant to know otherwise. I love this. In other words, it's dumb people who don't know they're dumb. That's basically what it's saying. All right? And then you have the hand grenade. You guys know the hand grenade. That's the angry person. They explode. They blow scorching metal on everything and everybody around them. They don't even realize it until there's a whole lot of collateral damage. And then you have the space cadet. You know what I'm talking about? Space cadet. These, these guys are in their own world. They just really don't get it. They, they don't even know they're in their own world. And when you're trying to talk to them, they're just not home. And you know, there's some of those in our family, right? Now, there's the clam or the nothing person, right? You know who these people are? They get, they're great at the silent treatment. They, they manipulate the day with being mute, right? Uh, they don't contribute to the conversation. There's no verbal feedback, no nonverbal feedback. There's just nothing. And then you have the judge or the nitpicker. Um, they find something wrong in, in everything, and they just sort of stay on it. And they're highly critical. They're always pointing out everybody's mistakes. And they often try to be a perfectionist themselves. But then you also have the mooch, right? Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie from Christmas vacation. Yeah, I like it. They just ask and ask and ask and ask and take and take and take and take. And they use you to their advantage. And they try to take advantage of you. And they try to drain the life out of you. They are toxic people. And then you also have the whiner or the crybaby, right? The chronic complainers, you know. And when you see their name on your phone and it shows up, you're already exhausted. You don't need to even answer it. You know, it's so great. It's another illness. It's another this. It's a, and the secret about these folks is even though they're complaining and whining, they're actually trying to control you, just throwing it out there. And uh, then you also have the pack rat or the hoarder. Uh, now this one's interesting because these people don't forgive and forget. As a matter of fact, they don't do much. They, they replay the hurt, they replay the wound, they replay the sin and the trouble of their life and yours over and over and over and over and over and they just can't let it go. And they gather all the garbage and they haul it into next year and they'll bring it into next Thanksgiving and they'll bring it into next Christmas. They'll bring it into the next relationship and they'll dump it and it stinks, it stinks the place out. And again, these people are too very toxic. And finally, there's God's gift to you and me. Just saying it. I can only find this one, but. <laughs> now, here's the big question Which one are you? Which one are you? Some of you think you're God's gift to women, but I think that's, you think, 
That's, you think you know it all. That's all I'm saying, putting it out there. Right? Now, which one do you have in your life? Because you actually, all of us can have a combination of the few. And all that aside, when dealing with difficult people, I think we need to understand a few things about human nature. Most importantly, when you're dealing with difficult people in your life, in your relationships, understand this. People are not their behavior. Okay? It's really not the person. It's their behavior. And I have to say this. They can change. They actually can change. So then if that is true, so how do we respond in this situation? I think first you have to understand that you cannot change them. Okay? You cannot change. Even though they can change, you cannot change them. But you can actually learn some survival skills to respond and to deal with them effectively. Um, We have to recognize all of our relationships are fragile. We all have people in our life, whether we like it or not, whether you uh, choose it or not, The way that we respond to people is always delicate and important. And the Bible is full of relationship advice and principles in dealing and responding with difficult people in our lives. And it also gives us a few things to keep in mind. You know, we have to come to the realization, people, look at, we can't please everybody. Right? You know, I I know we, we believe this, or we may say it, but often, many times, we forget it. And some of you here are actually natural people pleasers. And you need to let go of that. You need to let go of that. Jesus said in John 5, he said, Myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So Jesus decided, obviously, to be a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. And so I think the first step for all of us here today is to realize that we need to honor our Heavenly Father first and please him. We need to live our life to please the Lord. And and people come second. Just saying the way it is in Scripture. Remember, we can't please everybody. And we also then to need to refuse to play any games. We live in a game society, right? Matthew 22, Jesus finds himself in the game with the Pharisees. They're constantly trying to trap him. Uh, uh, and uh, he never falls for it. He's always dodging these guys. He refuses to play their game. Scripture says that Jesus knew their evil motive. And then he says... And he goes out and he goes, you hypocrites. Now, again, that line, very good if you want to quote Jesus, fabulous. But don't use this one verbatim in your conversation with your family. I'll tell you right now, it probably won't work really well. But he then adds, why are you trying to trap me? And he refused to play their game. And this actually happens in the world around us all the time. Not just at home, but at work, at school, at social media, right? We see it the best at social media in the comments, right? Somebody comments on your post and you read into it, whatever, however, and you sit back and you comment back and then everybody else is watching the fireworks just go off. Like, it's just crazy. Let me say this. My inside voice is running really hard here. Let me just say this. A mark of spiritual maturity is controlled reaction. A mark of spiritual maturity is controlled reaction. A mature person will control their reaction while an immature person is easily offended. Other things that you need to do to survive Christmas with your crazy family, don't, don't retaliate. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Are you guys with me on this, or is it just the pastor who deals with this stuff? I'm not quite sure. I, 
And then there's this add-on to the scripture that I really don't like. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. He will grant you his blessing. You know, this is so against our human nature. This is against my human nature, right? The, this, the reason this is so hard is because our world operates in retaliation. You get me, I'll get you back, right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You cut me off on Route 90, Oh, I'm going to cut you off. Yeah. Oh, you see me speed up and turn in my blinker on Route 90? Oh, I'm going to accelerate and make sure you not come back in. Like, come on, right? Right now, in our Soul Kids Junior Room, you have original sin on display. All you have to do is go get a guest badge and watch, and you see it taking place. That's what's going on. That's the DNA of all of us. That's how our world works. And if you think about it, if anybody has a reason to retaliate, it's Jesus. Imagine Jesus getting all worked up with the Pharisees. The, you know, the, the Gospel of Thomas is an apocryphal, a fictional kind of writing about Jesus when he's young and turning kids into frogs. Can you imagine you know, when he's older and the Pharisees are giving him trouble? And instead of turning them into frogs, he turns them into mice, and then he turns their wives into cats and says, have a good day. You know, you never know what could happen. So it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, but Jesus never retaliated. I'm sure he could have done something crazy as that, but he's our example. And uh, we need to be slow to our responses. You're going to get your buttons pushed this upcoming time with friends and family members. How are you going to respond? And again, we have to go back to scripture and we need to respond with love. Matthew chapter 5. You've heard the law said, love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives us sunlight to both evil and the good. Interesting, right? And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Again, very interesting. If you love only those who love you, reward is there for that. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. But if you're kind to only your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I think if I'm to be honest with all of us today, this is probably the hardest one to apply. Love your enemies. He says that. He says, bless them. He says, do good. And then he says, when all else fails, what you need to do is pray. And so, in fact, there are aspects that are placed on us. If we are a believer, you identify yourself as a Christian today. There's aspects that are placed on us that when we come into contact with rough relationships, we need to attempt to build healthy relationships. Well, how do you do that, you might be thinking. Good question. We need to understand, and I say this all the time, it's not about you. Get off your high horse. It's not about you, usually. Okay? The advice is difficult to follow um, when you're dealing with family because everything gets personal. It's all personal. But the truth is, it's not about you. Dr. Uh, Miguel Ruiz, he writes in a book called Four Arguments, he says, nothing other people do is because of you. It's because of themselves. All people live in their own dream. I love that. All people live in their own dream, in their own mind. They're completely in a different world from the one we live in. Then he continues on, he says this, he goes, there's this huge amount of freedom that comes to you when you take nothing personally. Now that's hard, 
but he's nailing it. Mastering the exquisite art of not taking it personally actually becomes a lifelong journey, but it's worth taking. And you, you start by reminding yourself that what people do and what they say about you is the product of who they are and not who you are. Take time first, people. Nurture your healthy relationships over this next coming holidays. Galatians 5, 13 to 15. If you don't take the time and nurture the healthy relationships that you already have, they will break down. Nurture your healthy relationships. Nothing stays wherever you leave it relationally. For instance, you get married, you go on your honeymoon and stuff, and it's so good and it's a whole lot of fun. But when you get back... You, you, you're not in honeymoon anymore. You need to take the time to nurture that relationship. The relationship is never going to stay in a honeymoon phase. It needs 24-7 care, and we know it, but many times, what? We've just failed to do so. Take time. Think about restoring broken relationships. You know, if you think of somebody's name when I say that, you have a broken relationship, and you think of, and somebody's name comes and you have a bad taste in the mouth, you got a broken relationship. Right? If you see somebody at Costco and you bail out on your full cart at Costco, you have a broken relationship. Right? If you find out that they're coming over and you have to say to yourself, oh, they're going to be here, you have a broken relationship. You know, if you're going to have healthy relationships, you're going to need to take some steps to try to mend that. And somebody said this. They said, the pain of unresolved conflict is greater than the pain of trying to resolve it. Isn't that interesting enough? The pain that you're carrying right now, and for some of you, you're carrying pain for years. It will be greater than the pain and the time that goes in and trying to actually mend that relationship. And I would suggest that you do what Romans 12, 17 to 18 says. It says, don't repay anybody for evil. Or don't repay evil for evil, but be careful what you do is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you see it? If it's possible, is what he says. If it's possible. I want you to think about that. That means it might not be possible. But it also means that it could be possible. And then the next phrase, as far as it depends on you. So here's the shift. It's not a them thing at this point in time. Now it's a you thing. Now it's a you thing. And, and as far as it depends on you is that aspect. And then the last part is live at peace. Do everything you can to restore the relationship and live at peace. And when trying to restore the relationships, you're not trying to fix the person. You accept them exactly as they are. They're the crazy aunt, the crazy uncle. But you take a long walk of empathy. You try to see your relationship from their perspective. We never do that. We always see it from our perspective where we've been offended. And so we try to take it to see it from there to their perspective. And ultimately, we have to end up in peace. Well, what if everything fails? Well, then I would suggest you sever a toxic relationship. In my family? Yeah. There are some people that are just toxic. Remember, you can't change them. The only person who's going to change them is the Holy Spirit. 
You can't change them, but if you can do absolutely everything you can to live at peace, for some of us, that means you actually have to sever until things are addressed, until people understand that there's a problem. If you've done everything you can and there is no change, you may have to sever the relationship. Oh, that doesn't sound Christian. Actually, it sounds very biblical. You know, some of you already know that person. Some of you are already involved in a, I'll call it an inappropriate or unhealthy relationship. And you think you can manage because, you know, you think you're stronger. But let me just say this. No, you can't and no, you're not. Look at the Bible says. Proverbs 27. It says, a mirror reflects a man's face. But what he's really like is shown by his kind of friends. And here the old adage is really true, right? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So parents, I think it's very important that you get to know your kids' friends regardless of their age. Who are your kids' friends? Do you know them? And not just we ones. I want to know my, my boys. I still got two boys at home. I want to know their friends, right? I still want to know my married kids' friends. I, don't, I, you know, I can't tell them what to do. You know, you're big people now. You got big boy pants. Like, you know, they make their own decisions. So I still want to know. I, it's very important, right? 1 Corinthians says, don't be fooled by those who say such things. If you listen to them, they'll start, you'll start acting like them. The NIV says it a different way. They say bad company corrupts good character. Who are you around? Who are you hanging out with? Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You know, for some of us today, your one takeaway this morning will be realizing that maybe there's a relationship in your life that you need to cut off and that you need to create some distance just to be healthy. And you know what? As long as you're living at peace and in forgiveness, it's okay. Your own well-being comes first. When you sever, you can have peace about the relationship even without peace in the relationship. Let me say that again. When you sever, when you put up a healthy boundary, you can have peace about the relationship even without peace in the relationship. And some things we can actually have peace even if it's in distance. And you want to be respectful and you want to be attentive to others as much as you can, but you don't want to be, be bending over backwards and twist yourself into a pretzel just to make somebody else satisfied or to keep the peace because some of us are like that. You know, never allow any interpersonal uh, personal interaction or relationship to infringe upon you or challenge your own well-being. Know your boundaries. Know your boundaries. Some of us have good boundaries. Some of us not so much. The protective territory between you and somebody else, especially the cousin Eddie or somebody else who's very toxic. No one is entitled to occupy your space unless you invite them in. And sometimes you just got to go, you keep your mouth shut, and you keep the peace and you have a solid boundary. And that there's spe these special situations where families gather together for a special occasion or a holiday. It's, it's best to plan ahead when you think about it so you have a good idea of how the time will be spent with your relatives. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What's it going to look like? And you don't leave a whole lot of unplanned time. You don't want to get in a situation where you're left alone with a difficult family member with whom you may have an issue or a conflict. Someone who confronts you or challenges you or incites you or aggravates you and basically pushes your buttons because we all have people like that in our life. Surround yourself with people you get along 
along with supportive people who you care about, people who are there and enjoy time together with you. And with that said, initiate some meaningful relationships. Hebrews 10 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to build into new relationships, relationships that will encourage you and build you up. That's why we push life group. You know, we need people who are going to spur us on, encourage us on, you know, but all the more. Why? Because life is short. Remember last week I had you look at each other and said, you're going to die soon. That's just the way it is. Life is short, right? Why waste all your energy being with difficult people trying to change their behavior when you can't? You need healthy, meaningful, encouraging relationships. And sometimes those are very different from family. Just saying it what it is. Family drama is inevitable. Their, their issues are maybe not your fault, but remember that they are broke and you can't fix them. But they're still your family. You can operate from your own moral compass and not get caught up in their anger and drama and toxic behavior. There's an expression out there, and I kind of love it. It's called, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of what goes on, right? That's your family when you're out getting together. It's not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm just going to go and pay and watch the show. Like, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to do that. Jesus gives us some answers. You know, it's not, I think it's worth noting that he didn't try to control his family's behavior, nor did he let their behavior control his. He didn't demand that they agreed with him. He didn't sulk when they insulted him. He didn't make it his mission to try to please them because each of us have a fantasy of that our family will be a perfect one. Jesus didn't have that expectation. Look how he defines his family. In Mark, he says, my true brother and sister and mother are those who do what God wants. So when Jesus' family didn't share his convictions, he didn't try to force them. He recognized that his spiritual family could provide what the physical family could not. And if Jesus himself couldn't force his family to share his convictions, what makes you think you can force yours? We can't control the way our family responds to us. Unless you're a complete idiot. Then, yeah, stop being an idiot. But when it comes to the behavior of others towards us, our hands are tied. And I think we have to move beyond this naive expectation that if we do good, people will treat us right. The fact is, they may and they may not. It doesn't matter what you do. We can't control how people respond to us. Maybe your father's a jerk. You could be the world's best daughter, and he still won't tell you so. Maybe you have an aunt who doesn't like your career. You know that when you're sitting around the table, what are you doing now? And she's going to get in your face. You know, you can change jobs a dozen times. It's never going to satisfy her. Maybe you have a sister, another sibling, or brother, and they're always complaining about what you got and what they didn't. You know, you could give them everything, and they still won't change. As long as you think you can control people's behaviors towards you, you're held hostage, you're held in bondage by their opinions. 
If you think you can control their opinion, and if their opinion isn't positive, then guess who you have to blame? Yourself. Because it's a game with unfair rules and fatal finishes. Jesus didn't play it, nor should you or I. You know, we don't know if Jesus' dad, Joseph, actually affirmed his son in his ministry. Scripture doesn't say. But what we do know from Scripture is that God did. It was God who said about Jesus, this is my son who I love and I'm very pleased with him. You know, I can't assure you that your family will ever give you the blessing that you seek. And some people are living for that. But I can assure you this, that God will. Let God give you what your family doesn't. If your earthly father doesn't affirm you, then hear me very clearly. Let your heavenly father take his place. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's emotionally accepting God as your father. Because he is. It's one thing to accept God as our Lord. It's another thing to recognize him as our savior. But it's a whole other matter for us to identify God as our father. To recognize God as Lord is to acknowledge that he is sovereign and he's supreme in the universe. To accept him as a savior is to accept that gift of salvation that was offered on the cross. But to regard him as father is to go a step further. And ideally, a father is the one in your life who provides and protects. Ideally. That's exactly, though, what God has done. He has provided for your needs according to Matthew 6. He has protected you from harm according to Psalms. He has adopted you according to Ephesians. And he has given you his name according to 1 John. God has proven himself as a faithful father. And now it falls upon us to be his trusting children. Let God, people, this Christmas time, give you what your family doesn't. Let him fill the void others have maybe left. Because it is a hard time for many people. Rely on him for your affirmation and for your encouragement. Look at Paul's words of encouragement in Galatians. You are God's child. You are God's child. And God will give you a blessing that he promised. Because you are his child. You know, having our family's approval is desirable. But it's not necessary for happiness. And honestly, it's not always possible. You know, Jesus didn't let the difficult dynamic of his family overshadow his call from God. And and because he didn't, this chapter has a happy ending. So he asked the question, what happened to Jesus' family? There's a beautiful nugget just hidden in the book of Acts. He says, the disciples went back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They all continued praying together with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. What a change. The ones who mocked him now worship him. The ones who pitied him now pray. What if Jesus disowned them, or, or worse still, what if he suffocated his family and demanded that they change? He didn't. Instead, he gave them space, time, and grace. And because he did, they eventually changed. Well, how much did they change? Well, if you go into scripture, we see in Galatians 1.9, one of his brothers became an apostle. Others, according to 1 Corinthians 9, became missionaries. 
So let me say this today. Can I encourage you this morning not to lose heart with your crazy family? But understand that still God changes families. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of going, I I don't know about this relationship stuff. I don't know about this family thing. Well, that brings up questions regarding God and Jesus and the church. Maybe you're just sort of feeling suffocated and, and drowning. You have no idea to get out. Maybe you just need a spiritual reset. I ask you all this. Take out your phone, everybody. Hold your phones up. Take them out. Some of you get off Facebook, please. I'm talking to you. There's going to be a number that goes up on the screen. And I'm going to go to prayer fairly shortly. And when I'm praying, and if you want some follow-up, maybe I've said something. Maybe I've triggered you. Yeah, maybe. uh, Sorry for mocking that term, but I'm in the mocking phase of the word triggered now in my life. So, um, But maybe something has prompted you and has got you thinking, and you just need some help. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you just, you know, we want to be able to pray with you and answer your questions, and we're not going to creepy stalk you. I've said this over and over again. We simply care about your spiritual well-being. We want to help guide you in this journey we call life, and we think that this is just a safe way for you to communicate to us, and I will guarantee you that somebody's going to respond to you within 24 hours. We're waiting for God to come and bring us hope and peace and joy and joy. And sometimes we forget that he has already come. He's already broken to our world. He's already shined this great light. He's already sent the Holy Spirit so that we can be the body of Christ in the world. That, you know, we're not just waiting for this peace and, and hope and joy, but rather that we can be it. And, and he can be the peace, the hope, and joy in our homes, in our family and in our churches, and in our community, and in our nation. So why don't you bow with me and let me pray. And as I do that, if you need some follow-up, and whatever it is, just text SOUL to the number that's on the screen. Father, I just thank you for this time that we can talk to you about, uh, that we can talk about you in relationship and things that stress us out at this time of year. You're a God who's good, and you're a God who's designed us, and you know all the things, you know the difficulties around us. You know the people around us who are tough to love. And so I pray by your power and spirit that you would give us that one thing that we need to do to focus on our relationships this Christmas. And we realize that this is actually a matter of obedience to you. This morning, as Jerry is talking, some names have come to our minds as a reminder from your spirit. Help us to honestly pray for our enemies and to count on you to give us guidance on how we can love them for your name's sake and by your strength. And for those of us, maybe we need to restore a relationship or even go further and make peace. And for some, we need new relationships. But maybe even for someone today to begin a personal relationship with you. And so God, today, we give our relationships, we give our marriages, we give our children, we give our families, our careers to you. And we ask corporately that you would do good in them. Help us to seek your wisdom and how we can reconcile during this Christmas season. Give us opportunities to show love even in those difficult moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Why don't you stand with me? Because in ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those received the blessing did likewise. It's a hopeful benediction. So be people of hope. Let hope live in your heart and share the hope of Christ with all you meet. Share hope by noticing somebody else's humanity. Share hope by listening to somebody's story. Share hope by praying for our world. And in this Advent season, we need to see, feel, and share hope, joy, and peace. And as you go out into the wonder of God's creation, share all that with those you meet. And have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.